Welcome to the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast, a conversation about representation in comics and related media. I am your host, Rain Coleman, the Carefree Blurred himself, and today we'll be discussing The Eternals. Alright, so getting right into it, please guys, everyone listening under the sound of my voice, use that hashtag CBNPod when you're listening to this episode, uh, when you're live tweeting this episode, give me some of your comments, questions, concerns, and feedback with that hashtag. So, before starting, I'm going to say Kevin Feige and Marvel are doing whatever the hell they want to do. The Eternals was scheduled to be released here in the U.S. on November 5th of 2021. It was previously set for release on November 6th of 2020, before it was then shifted to February 12th of 2021, and then to November 2021. Now, I don't know what the hell is going on. We're going to operate under the assumption that it will be coming out this Friday on the 12th of February. If I am wrong, then you just are ready early. (laughs) If I am right, then enjoy the movie. (laughs) So that's my little caveat with this episode, because God darn it, I I ain't seen not, well, we'll leave it there. So (laughs) we're going to discuss the Eternals both in comic book version and in movie version. I'm not going to get too, too far into the comics because I want you to be able to check out the Eternals and kind of see for yourself some of the storylines because they haven't appeared in as much as you would think for as important of, um, of a character they are like collectively, even individually in the Marvel comics. What I will say is, this movie, I feel like, is going to have to do some heavy lifting, kind of in the way that the Avengers Endgame did, with, like, flashbacks, uh, maybe showing that the Eternals had their hands in certain events that may have happened. Or, hell, they could just scrap that all together and just be like, fuck it, we was here, we didn't care, do what you gotta do. (laughs) I don't know. But one thing I do want you guys to keep in mind throughout this entire episode is that there have been... Three snaps of the Infinity Gauntlet. Each one has released cosmic energy every time. Keep that in mind. I'll let you come to your own conclusions. I may even give you my thoughts on it. But Thanos did a snap. The Hulk performed a snap. And Tony Stark died by the snap. So keep that in mind. So, The Eternals film is a, of course, superhero film. These are Marvel Comics characters. Uh, They are of the same name. The name has not been changed at all. This is a movie that will be, of course, produced by Marvel and distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. So, that sweet, sweet Disney Plus action. It is... It's intended to be the 26th film. Now, that's kind of... I don't know. I'm, I'm not really... I'm not really sold on that just because with COVID and with like things shifting and moving around and it, whatever, it, it's a film. It's a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Now, the film is directed by Chloe Zhao and written by Kaz and Ryan Furpo. It stars an ensemble cast and, um, shall I get into the cast? Mm. Well, Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, uh, Kumail Nanjani. Uh, Lauren Ritloff, Brian Tyree Henry, Salma Hayek, Leah McHugh, Don Lee, Kit Harrington, Gemma Chan, and Barry Keegan. 
I believe that's how you pronounce his name, Barry Keegan. Now, in this film, the Eternals, who have hidden themselves for thousands of years, must reunite to protect Earth from their enemies, the Deviants. I'm very interested in this, and I don't have a lot of working knowledge of the Eternals outside of, like, knowing when I see a few of them, like, their silhouette or, like, visually their costumes or whatnot. I'm not really that familiar with the Eternals myself, and so everything that I've saw, I've read, it makes me a little bit more interested. I'm still kind of like, all right, well, you know, it is what it is. I don't believe that I am a huge fan of the cosmic side of Marvel Universe. Because thinking about it, the Fantastic Four are cool enough, but I've never been interested in them past, like, the movies that come out every now and then. Um, I have never really been overjoyed when the X-Men went to space, because it's like, okay, uh, as I get older and I, you know, read a bit more and get my knees into, knees into, when I get knees deep into certain things, it makes me, you know, want to know more, like with the Eternals, but, you know, um, instinctively, I'm not into cosmic stuff, but this has me interested. So in April of 2018, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige announced that a film based on the Eternals had become development. That's April of 2018, y'all. We're going to track this. Now, with Kaz and Ryan Furpo being hired for the script uh, and for the project in May. By late September, Marvel had hired Chloe Zhao to direct the film. A diverse cast was hired. We've listed off the names, uh, which include Marvel Studios' first depiction of an LGBTQ superhero. Which, you know, kudos to them for that. But then at the same time, it's like, we're just now getting a Black Widow film. Regardless of how you feel about the actress, like... Black Widow has been around for a while. Like We're finally getting a solo film for her, and we're finally getting the LGBTQ AI plus superhero. Cool. Um, don't let it be queer baiting, and don't let it just be window dressing. If this is a queer couple, gay or otherwise, let that shine through. You know, Don't let it be some afterthought. But with Marvel, I feel like they have, they know enough about their audience and about Twitter and the public opinion to I'll hopefully make this work and make it right. Now, principal photography began in July of 2018. I'm sorry, 2019. So about a year later, with Chloe able to use her own style and film more on location than previous Marvel Studios films. Now, that's something I am very interested in. So Marvel has laid the groundwork of setting up their universe to the general public. Now they can do whatever the hell they want to do. We see the success of WandaVision. We see Doctor Strange and the kind of odd cosmic magical stuff that we dealt with there. They really are, I feel, going to be able to do whatever the fuck they want. Dive into storylines that involve the multiverse, that involve these big massive scale events and even smaller more quieter events and have the general public take it in and accept it which i feel like people were able to do that before but prior to like blade x-men and then tony stark iron man we were never given a serious depiction of superheroes in movie form with like this big budget film with like the whole machine behind it uh, but I think that people could have easily taken a Dark Phoenix saga or a um, 
said anything honestly and, and and took it if you do it well but that's neither here nor there but i am interested in seeing what does a marvel movie look like when we have chloe zhao's vision now, i'm not familiar with her but if you look at thor ragnarok and you look at wandavision you can see the difference from other marvel films and other marvel properties and then we're shooting in places like Oxford in England, the Canary Islands, uh, Pinewood Studios. Like, we're already, as far as sets are concerned, getting something entirely different. Then with Chloe, we're getting something different within her vision. I'm really interested to see what this Eternals what it ends up looking like because it feels big. Um, I don't want to really compare it to, like, Avengers Endgame or Infinity War or anything like that, but it feels large in the sense that we knew Infinity War and Endgame was going to be large. Again, not comparing the two, but just that feeling I got that, oh, this is this is important. And as I go through the history of the Eternals, hopefully this, you feel the same way if you don't already. And if not, that's cool too. But please let me know, um, because as I said before, I wasn't really familiar with the Eternals. If you are, if the Eternals, if you knew everything about them folks before you press play, before you saw the title of this episode, let me know. Um, Point me in the direction of some books and some runs or even some single issues that I should probably look at to get some of your favorite eternal stories or, you know, the nitty gritty or whatever. Even if I mention it in the show, let me know. So the premise of the movie. After an unexpected tragedy follows the events of Avengers Endgame, the Eternals, an immortal alien race created by the Celestials, who have secretly lived on Earth for over 7,000 years, reunite to protect humanity from their evil counterparts, the Deviants. Now, before even getting into the history of either one, we know, those of us who read comics and watch the films, that Marvel has, they don't give a damn about switching some stuff up. The Kree and the Skrull were mixed up in Captain Marvel. When I say mixed up, in the sense that one being bad guy, one being good guy, they flipped it. Who's to say that the Deviants even end up being the bad guys, quote-unquote? I would wager to think that the Celestials are going to be the bad guys. But, leave that there. Cast your uh, predictions with the hashtag CBNPod when you're listening to this episode. Now, <clears throat> the Eternals are a fictional race of humanoids appearing in Marvel Comics. They are described as an offshoot of the evolutionary process that created sentient life on Earth. I think I said it wrong. Sentient. Whatever. Sentient. Yep. The original instigators of this process, the alien Celestials, intended the Eternals to be the defenders of Earth which leads to the inevitability of war against their destructive counterparts, the Deviants. Cool. Why create the Deviants? <laughs> I mean, why at all? Like, I get it as far as story is concerned. You want a villain, you want a war, you want good and bad. But like, Celestials, if we're protecting the Earth, why create the Deviants at all? Now, the Eternals were created by uh, Jack Kirby, and they made their first appearance in The Eternals number 1 back in July of 1976. Whew, man. Oh, this is so strange. The Deviants, it's always been so weird to me. Now, The Eternals will debut in Marvel. And again, I'm getting conflicting <laughs> dates. Is it November or is it February? So, 
<laughs> we'll just run with February for now and then retcon it if it changes. Now, as far as publication is concerned, back in 1970, Jack Kirby left Marvel Comics to work at DC Comics. Now, what I gathered through different videos and blogs and whatnot is that Jack Kirby was unhappy with the treatment that he was getting at Marvel and went to DC. Now, at DC, he created the New Gods. This is a pretty big epic saga of a story it's very much mythological and science fiction kind of mixed together and he had a definite ending for this series well then again rumor has it he was unhappy there as well and so he went back to marvel without ending his series officially um it was left incomplete and his titles were canceled now kirby began working on the eternals when he returned to marvel now, the Eternal Saga was very similar, well, thematically anyways, to the New Gods. So we have the Eternals and the New Gods. And that's one thing I do truly enjoy is that with DC and Marvel, they don't give a damn about, I don't want to say copying, but like we know about the Doom Patrol and the X-Men's torrid history where they're pretty much siblings you know, on the opposite side of the universe. I don't know. And this is feels this feels that same way. And with the success of X-Men and, and Doom Patrol now with the series, you know, not that people didn't like the comic before, I just, I'm hoping that New Gods and the Eternals have kind of the same, well, I don't really care about New Gods right now. Only because DC is doing, I don't know, whatever, don't worry about that. But if you want to hear some DC talk, go back and listen to my episode on reshaping the DCEU with my special guest, Ivy of Ivy's Podcast. That'll be linked in the show notes. But yeah, so with the Eternals, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited, but you know, tone it down a bit. So uh, Kirby went and created the Eternals, which was his pretty much version of the new guys at, at Marvel. Now, um... Let's see, uh, we had da, 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 writers Roy Thomas and Mark Gruenwald used as the Eternals, uh, they used the Eternals in Thor. This was a Thor storyline that climaxed in Thor number 301. Thor is another character that I never really cared too much about prior to the MCU, uh, but I am interested in looking at some of his older stuff. Um, so yeah, so they appeared again in Thor 301. It doesn't give me a year. I'd have to look that up. Now, this resolves some of those lingering plot lines from, uh, from before, because again, they didn't, just like with the new gods, the Eternals did not end definitively like Kirby wanted them to. Now, uh, subsequent to the Thor storyline, the Eternals... Uh, have appeared or been mentioned in numerous Marvel comics. Now, in particular, the Celestial's experiment on humanity has been used to explain how certain humans can develop superpowers. So if you think of mutants, you think of inhumans, you think of people like uh, Hulk, who, you know, anyone else gets shot with radiation, they probably die, you know, <laughs> that much gamma radiation. So they are the kind of retcon of why we have all these superpowered people in the Marvel Universe, which I think is very interesting. They pretty much become the glue that holds the logic together in the Marvel Universe. I like that. So with those experiments and, su and some humans getting these superpowers, there are the Titans created by Jim Starlin and Uranians created by Stan Lee. They were later retconned as being Eternals as well. Now, the Eternals returned in 
1985 for a 12-issue miniseries where writer Peter B. Gillis and penciler Sal Bushima, uh, according to comic book historian Peter Sanderson, Editor-in-Chief Jim Shooter disliked Gillis's script. Jesus Christ, I can't speak. Gillis's scripts. So Walter Simonson wrote the final four issues, which I'm assuming that's not unheard of. I mean, I've heard of it through several interviews and blogs and whatnot where a creative team doesn't finish the end through whatever reason, and then you get someone else to come on. Hell, even in the middle of a run, you could get like an issue that's penciled by someone different or an offshoot or a one-off that's written by someone else. So it's not unheard of. But when you're looking at it, hindsight is twenty twenty for the Eternals to be this big, major force, cinematic force. And then you go back and look at the history. It's like, these people didn't know in 1985 the MCU would be what it is, you know? Now, in 2000, the year 2000, (laughs) a one-shot comic called New Eternals, Apocalypse Now, Issue 1, featured an older conflict between the Eternals and none other than the X-Men villain Apocalypse, because that motherfucker is old. Uh, In 2003, writer Chuck Austin and artist Kev Walker rebooted the franchise for Marvel's mature reader focus, Max Imprint, resulting in The Eternal, which there's only so many play on words that you could have with The Eternals, but um, the Max series, so the only series that I'm familiar with when it comes to Marvel Max is Jessica Jones and that Punisher series. I didn't even know about The Eternals. I have never had the desire to look up the Max series. And I'm not going to until after I'm done recording this episode so that I can say, listeners, if you know anything about Marvel Max series, tweet me. Use the hashtag CBNPod. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, if you have read The Eternal or you're familiar with Marvel Max, tweet me and let me know. Because I think I may want to revisit. I know I've read some of Jessica Jones. I think I may even own Jessica Jones. Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe back in 20... 13 i may have picked up her series Mm, yes my return to comics uh but yeah let me know if what's your um what's your thoughts on the eternals and on the eternal max series because it is the more mature cussing violence sex and drugs and whatnot i'd like to know what your thoughts are if it's something i should even consider if it's like man that's trash don't get that (laughs) now neil gaiman with artist john ramita jr created a 2006 miniseries which helped bring the Eternals role into the modern Marvel Universe and make it up to date. Now, originally, this was supposed to be a six-issue series. That's the way they marketed it, six issues. Now, an extra issue was added to the run because according to the editor, Nick Lowe, let me do my little voice. He doesn't sound like this, but there was so much story to fit into the structure we set for ourselves. Neil was starting five issues And then he told me, hey, we might need a seventh issue, buddy. He just had to, had to get it. You know, he had to get so much story and he couldn't make it all fit into those six issues. Even with the first and the six being double sized. Yeah, I don't know how that man sound, but (laughs) take it. So yeah, so that, again, so even though comic, man, I just love comics. It's such a collaborative thing. Even with reading and consuming comics and not being on the business or the creative side, it's still so, like, you can't, you have to appreciate the amount of work that goes into one, even if you don't like the comic, if you think it's trash or whatever, the colorist, the letterer, 
the editor, the inker, the, like it's oh my god, the writer, the the um cover artist, you know, the guest writer, the guest like it's so much work that goes into one 22 page comic that ah man it's just it's amazing it really is so where we have on one end of the spectrum you could have a guest writer or a guest artist or somebody fill in for a one shot or something you also have those times where it's like like they said we have so much story to try to force it into six issues is doesn't make sense and that's something when i first returned to comics trades were more popular than they were when i was younger and initially into comics and so it took me it took some time for me to really wrap my head around these six issue arcs and i've even mentioned in a few episodes of i believe the pool and of course uh carefree black nerd podcast i'm not sure which episodes but i've mentioned it before years ago and i i think i'm over that now it's like if you're gonna write if the new standard, the new normal is to write for six issues to fit into one trade, then that's just what it is. You know, going are the days of maybe two issue arcs, one arc and one shot, four or five issues or something. Like if it's six, it's six. But I remember returning to comics and being like, this this feels wrong. It feels odd, but it was just different. It was change. Um, but again, to their point, like if you have so much story, what do you do with that? Like you you initially have those six issues, but then... Ah, this is the one that I probably need to pick up because it's so, ah, all this work. <laughs> so they couldn't put just six issues worth of content into these six issues. They needed more. Now, the Eternals returned after 2006. They returned in Jason Aaron's Avengers. And in issue number four, they were all killed. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yo, so yeah, they were killed in a story arc involving the Dark Celestials. However, Marvel has announced that the Eternals will return in a new ongoing series in January of 2021. At the time of this recording, I have not seen in hand an Eternals book. But of course, that makes sense that they would release a book when they know they're going to release this movie. Uh, so if you're reading the new Eternals and you like it, hit me up, CBN Pod, and let me know what your thoughts are. If Should I pick it up? Should I check it out? Now let's move on to their powers and abilities because these, these fools, they strong. <laughs> now due to the cosmic energy in an Eternals body and the unbreakable mental hold that they have over their uh, physiological processes, the Eternals of Earth are effectively immortal. Now, they live for millennia at a time. They do not fatigue from physical exertion, so they can play sports, work out, whatever. They don't, they're not tired. And that's something that's, I'm, I'm interested to see how that relays, um, how they show that on, in the MCU, or if this is something that they'll even incorporate. Because, like, ah, I just can't wait to see it. So, uh, yes, they don't, they do not fatigue. They are immune to disease and poison and are unaffected by environmental extremes like cold and heat. And most cannot be injured by conventional weaponry. And even if they are somehow hurt, the Eternal can rapidly regenerate any damage as long as they are able to retain their mental hold over their bodies. So that, to me, sounds a lot like... Dun-dun-dun-dun! Superman! Uh, And I like that. I like that. I like that we have a group of, you know, effective 
Kryptonians in the Marvel Universe. But even that aside, one of my biggest issues with Superman is that I just don't really care for him. I don't hate him, but I've never been drawn to Superman's stories. And I've never had the argument that, oh, he's too overpowered because I never really cared that much. But I have... Like, Superman Red Sun, I enjoyed it. There's been a few one-shots and runs that I've read that, you know, that were good. And I'm sure that there are tons of great Superman stories. I'm not saying that there's that there's not. But I know a lot of people's complaint is that he has so much power. And to that, even with my kind of meh on Superman, it's like, as long as you're telling a great story, you can write a story about, you know, Galactus, who's super-powered apocalypse who's superpower like is saying someone is overpowered okay sure but you should still be able to tell a good and effective story excuse me within the limitations of whatever they have so if he can fly to the moon and back and leap tall builders in a single bound make that work within your story so i'll say all that to say that not only do we have one superpower quote-unquote overpowered person we have several make that work that ah just think, I think they're going to do a good job. So, <laughs> so let's see. What else about there's powers? Um, so that mental bond can be broken. Now, in 2006, in that um, little miniseries, it was also stated that the Eternals are able to absorb oxygen directly from water. So they can't drown. You can't drown a motherfucker who can breathe underwater. Um, in the same series, Icarus was plunged into molten metal and experienced severe pain, but no physical injury, which the Deviants attributed to a force field which protects Icarus even when he's unconscious, which gives me very much Sue Storm, Sue Storm Richard vibes, force field. Uh, Let's see. It is unclear if all Eternals share this degree of protection. Sure, but let's not make it consistent right across the board. So I'm seeing kind of um element seeds easter eggs if you will of of modern comics marvel comics characters in the eternals you know again that sue storm one seems is where my mind goes to first now at one time the official limit of the eternals durability was such that they could only be permanently destroyed by listen to this dispersing their bodies molecules over a wide area dispersing their bodies molecules over a wide area that's like suicide like you that you have to intentionally do that <laughs> like so this degree of extreme durability was revealed to have increased to a much greater degree Uh, This was demonstrated in the 2006 Limit Series Eternals. Um, It is shown that even the total molecular dispersal is insufficient to destroy them. So even within doing that, you still ain't really getting nothing done. You can beat them down to the molecular level and still, still I rise. Phenomenal mutant. Phenomenal Lee. Yeah, so... That's that. Now, as long as the machine, the machine. So let's talk about the machine for a minute. The machine is a restoration device. It is of the alien celestial origin. So celestial tech. And it's 
thought that Earth itself is the machine. So again, going back to that molecular dispersal of, um, of, of energy and molecules and whatnot, as long as the machine is up and running, you can disperse all the molecules you want, but you ain't getting up in this house. But if the machine isn't running, then, you know, we'll see. Now, as long as it keeps running, any destroyed eternal will eventually return. Like, oh my God. So, um, as was the case with Icarus, after he was completely vaporized by a particle accelerator as part of a series of experiments performed on him by the deviants, which, how the hell did you get in that predicament, Icarus? <laughs> predicament Icarus. Uh, yeah, so as long as this machine is up and running, you will be back. Oh, man. Okay, so this uh, same cosmic energy can be channeled for a number of superhuman abilities all Eternals are potentially capable of. Now, I'm going to read off their abilities. Let's make this a game. I'm going to read off the abilities, then I'm going to be silent for a second, and you yell out, audience member, who do you think in present-day Marvel Comics this character may have been stemmed from? For example, the Sue Storm thing. Remember I said that because they have that force field on Icarus, I believe that is you know, probably where Sue Storm got her abilities. So, let's do the first one. Superhuman strength. Right, that could be everybody. <laughs> now, the limits of their strength can be increased as a result of years of focusing some of their energy towards that. So, again, practice makes perfect. That's pretty much what they're saying. So, okay, the next one, I know y'all know who this is. Projecting concussive blast, heat, and or blinding flashes of energy from their eyes and hands. Yes, I would say the Summers Brothers, Scott and Havoc. What? Havoc? Wait. <laughs> Cyclops and Havoc, yeah. They're pretty, that feels very much Summers, big Summers energy. Um, this next one, this could be anybody, but they also have the ability of flight and levitating others. Okay, next one, uh, let's see, in flight, like I said, that could be anyone. This next one, reading and controlling minds. My answer would be any telepath in the world. Emma Frost, Jean Grey, Betsy Braddock, uh, you know, Charles Xavier, all of them. Let's see, oh, this one, oh, who do I think this is? Um, oh, duh, okay, uh, generating illusions. Yes, I say uh, Danielle Moonstar. Yes. Uh, let's see this one. Okay, this one could be almost anyone, but this um, a limited, not limited, but it's not as large of a pool. Teleporting vast distances, uh, though most Eternals prefer not to use this ability, as many find it uncomfortable. And according to that 2006 series, it also greatly depletes their store of cosmic energy. Who do you think? I say Nightcrawler. I was going to say uh Iyanla, uh Rasputin with her like stepping disc into the hell dimension and whatnot but I don't think magic that's her code name I don't think she's ever tired after that but Nightcrawler depending on how far he goes he can be severely um exhausted afterwards so I say that's probably a Nightcrawler ability um this one, ooh, I don't really know, not off the top of my head. Uh, transmuting objects, altering both their shape and composition. The extent of this ability can vary uh, from one eternal to another. You think it is? 
Um, I'll say Mr. Fantastic, and I'll say Angelo Espinoza. Oh, how do you it's, mm, skin of Generation X? Because <laughs> I was definitely gonna butcher his name. So, uh, Mr. Fantastic and Skin, because they both can. Uh, and um, Apocalypse too. He can do that. He can change his uh the size, his size, um, his size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in addition, groups of Eternals, as few as three at a time, can initiate a transformation into a being called the Unimind, a vastly powerful psionic entity that contains the totality of the powers and abilities of all beings that comprise it. Oh, that was hell to get through. So your guess is... Mine is Implate. That's the first one that comes to mind. Not Implate Morris St. Croix, but Implate M-Plate, who is a combination of Monet St. Croix, Morris St. Croix, uh, Nicole and Claudette St. Croix, and I believe Penis as well. And these are Generation X characters. When they formed together, it was this, um, char- that, this character that pretty much did everything that they could do. <laughs> Everything they could do, they could it could do better. Um, so yeah, that's that's it on as far as the list of powers. And thank you guys for playing along with me out there. <laughs> now, some Eternals choose to focus on a particular power in order to increase their effectiveness with it, because the jack of all trades is a master of none. Now, Cersei, for example, has developed the power to transmutation. Transmutation further than any other Eternal. So this has been her go-to. She's been in her bag for a while with this transmutation. Um, also, some Eternals choose to focus their cosmic energies into other non-standard abilities. Now, Icarus, for example, channels cosmic energy into um, a greatly enhanced his senses, while the Interloper uses his to generate fear in others. And Makari, which, ah, I love that name. Makari uses his cosmic energies for super speed. So I like this idea that they all have this immense power and they all have kind of taken up a trade where we all start up. Like, it's one thing to say everyone has super strength. It's another thing for everyone to have super strength. But that one person who focuses solely on super strength being vastly more strong than everyone else. For some reason, Going through the Eternals history puts me in the mind of Hancock and I am number four, which I feel like those two properties are like stupid close, have to be like cousins of one another. But regardless of the quality of the film and if you liked it or not, I just something about a collection of superpowered people in the modern age trying to figure out this ancient secret. Tim, do y'all do y'all agree? Am I alone in this? I feel like they're like distant cousins of one another. But, anywho, now there are limitations. Uh, the retcon of the Eternal's origin and abilities introduces a very significant limitation to these powers and their free will. Uh, numerous references of the Eternals being quote-unquote programmed or hardwired, they cannot attack their celestial masters for any reason. Whether they make a conscious decision or if they're tricked into accidentally striking the Celestials, which is so ominous. It's so horrible. Um, horrific, too. You are this extremely powered being that has like concentrated on this one ability, and your creators, 
you can't harm whether you want to or you're tricked into it. That's so, oh my God, something about that just don't sit right with me. Not that you want people to go around trying to kill folks, but let's say you disagree with the Celestials' ideas on something and they have you do something you don't want. How can you defend yourself? You can't. Now, any attempts to attack the Celestial for any reason shuts down the body of the Eternal who's doing the attacking, which is like, God damn. Um, this is implied to be an automatic defense mechanism that the Celestials uh, have programmed into them. Now, on one occasion, when the Eternals attempted to form a Unimind, so that's, of course, when a more than two or more than three get together and become this being, uh, attempted to form a Unimind with the intent of keeping the Dreaming Celestial asleep, they were immediately shut down and discorporated back to their original form. So they combined Wonder Twin style, tried to not even harm the Dreaming Celestial, they tried to keep this person asleep, and was like, nah, nah fam, y'all try again later. That is... That is terrifying because honestly, and then think of it: these people can't really die. Like even if you disperse your molecules over the entirety of Earth, as long as that machine is running, which we imagine is Earth itself, you aren't going. So there's no escape, man. That is terrifying. This can be a really fucking good movie, y'all. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Now the Eternals uh, seemingly cannot leave the solar system, which is like. Yeah, solar system is large and vast and whatnot, but when you have all these extreme powers, you can do all these amazing things. Like, really, how vast is the solar system? Because with Marvel history, there's been so many cosmic stories and big major events and whatnot. What if this one just gets destroyed and wiped out? Like, what if Earth, you know, blows up and every other planet? You're just existing, floating around, doing, being bored. That's what it is. It sounds boring. Now, Eternals are compelled to attack and neutralize any beings that attempt to engage any Celestial with hostile intent. Let me read that back. Eternals are compelled to attack and neutralize any being that attempts to engage any Celestial with hostile intent. The intent, fam. Like, ah, uh, your body is not your own at that point. Like, there's these big limitations on things you're able to do, which may not seem large, but when it all boils down to how the celestial is feeling, like if they want you to attack this person, if they, what are their intentions for you? Because at this point, you're just pretty much a Manchurian candidate waiting to be activated. Who man. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Now, this compulsion extends even to the Dreaming Celestial. So, of course, remember, when they didn't even try to attack this Celestial, they tried to keep this sleep. And, oh, man, that's too much. No one Celestial should have all that power, as Kanye said. Now, at least how it was presented in Neil Gaiman's uh, Volume 3, the Eternals are aware of the role on Earth. Uh, the duties and their constraints placed on them by the Celestials. So they know about these things. Now, Icarus describes himself as a humanoid base repair and maintenance unit left behind by unknowable alien gods to make sure that the Earth is still here and in good shape when they get back. That's heavy as hell. Just even knowing about these things, don't I would imagine, wouldn't make it easier. Like, 
I mean, I'm not a 7,000-year-old, you know, humanoid hybrid thing or whatever, but I would imagine after being on Earth for 7,000 years and experiencing life with these creatures, knowing about free will and life and death and all this good stuff, hell, even living through slavery, because what did y'all do about that, Celestials? Uh, it Like, I'm kind of with Icarus. Like, there's no, my purpose is to be of service to a Celestial, like to this alien gods, because what else... What else am I going to do? Man, I think I like this Icarus guy. <laughs> now, Zorus uh, phrased it a little bit differently. He says, we are the Eternals. We are the court of last resort for humanity and for all living things on Earth. We do not choose sides. Countries are lines in the sand. Empires rise and fall. We are timeless. We will still be here tomorrow and a hundred centuries from now. Which... Okay, girl, but like, sure, that's fine. But at the same time, you still are under the control of these Celestials. So yeah, you'll be here hundreds of centuries from now, but depending on how they feel about humanity a hundred million centuries from now, where does that leave you? You're still a pawn. Man, so there are a few different generations of Celestials. There are five. I'm going to go through these names, and y'all, I'm going to butcher some of these down. Now, the Eternals are split between five different generational groups. First generation Eternal, those who are born before the fall of Titanos. And they are Arlok, Astron, Diana, Kronos, Master Elo, Oceanus, Shastra, Thyro, Uranos. Okay, not bad. I feel like I did good on that. Second generation eternal, those alive at the time of Kronos' experiment. We have Mentor Alars, Ama, Cybele, Forgotten One slash Gilgamesh, Helios, Percy, Rakar, Tulane, Tulane University, shout out New Orleans, uh, Vulcan, Varako, Zorus. Okay, okay, better not thought. Now, uh, third generation eternal, those born after Kronos' experiment, but before the second host. We have Agonar or Aginar, Ajak, Arek, Atlo, Domo, Icarus, Interloper, Mara, Fastos or Fastos, Sigmar, Thanos, uh, uh, Thanos, uh, Athena, Varan, and Zarin. Okay, okay, okay. Now, y'all, how is it that I'm getting all these uh, cartoon names right, but y'all give me the name of a real person <laughs> who is like, written a book, and y'all know I'll butcher that like crazy. Now, fourth generation eternal. Those born after the coming of the second host 20,000 years ago. They are Argos, Ciotti, Chai Demon or Chi Demon, uh, the Delphan, oh no, the Delphan brother, excuse me, Druig, mm, Kroifos, I believe that's right, Kroifos, Makari, uh oh, there go my boy Makari, uh, Phycos, Cersei, King Sunin, El Vampiro, like El Vampiro, what? What is that? What kind of name is that? Alrighty, and then we have the fifth generation eternal, those born after the coming of the third host 3,000 years ago. Those are Aurel, Sprite, and Titanus. 
Yes. So with the movie cast, now that we've gone over the different generations of Eternals, let me know again if any of this is familiar to you or is it like the first time you've heard all of these names. Now I know everybody listening should have heard of Thanos. I know that. <laughs> so yeah, so now let's go over the movie cast. Now for Thena, a fierce warrior Eternal who can form any weapon out of cosmic energy and develops a close bond with Gilgamesh over the centuries. She will be played by Angelina Jolie. <laughs> uh, Icarus, the tactical leader of the Eternals who can fly, project cosmic energy beams from his eyes, and has superhuman strength, will be played by Richard Madden. Uh, Kingo, an Eternal who can project cosmic energy projectiles from his hands, enamored with fame, Kingo becomes a popular Bollywood film star to blend in on Earth. He will be played by uh, Kumal, Kumail excuse me, Ninjani. Uh, he wanted his performance to combine the wisecracking attitude of John McClane uh, from the Die Hard movies with the look of a Bollywood actor. And I'm going to butcher this name. I believe it's Hrithik Roshan or Roshan. Which, oh my god, I'm really excited for the diversity in this cast, if I can take a sidebar for a minute. Mainly because you know, as us as comic book fans, you know how folks can get when you race bend or gender bend a character or change something, you know, that was formerly white. And you got these comic stands and fans coming after you. But I think that with the Eternals, this is probably one of the better properties to race Ben and gender Ben and play around with because they don't have a long history. Like their history within the continuity is vast. Sure. But like their appearances and stuff is not as, um, lengthy as like an Iron Man and Avengers and X-Men and whatnot. So I feel like these are characters who you can do what you want with. Much like in a way, I think that Elizabeth Olsen has been putting personality into the Scarlet Witch, a character who, though we've seen in comics, uh, I'm not, not comics, excuse me, though we've seen in cartoons here or there, there's no definitive Scarlet Witch. Like, there's no way that you can look at Elizabeth Olsen and be like, that's not my Scarlet Witch. Like, come on. With all the creative teams over the years working on so many different characters, there's certain things that are definitive for certain characters, but like, Elizabeth Olsen now at this point is Scarlet Witch. Like you have to think of her when reading her in a book or something. So I'm hoping that there isn't too much pushback for the race and gender swaps that they've done with this casting. Uh, if so, it's like, eh, this is a group of eight. First of all, it's all fiction. Secondly, don't fight representation. And then thirdly, like they're aliens. They're alien superheroes from millennia ago. But Whatever. Getting back to the list. Next off, we have Makari. My boy, Makari. An eternal who uses her cosmic... Oh, cosmic... I said my boy, my bad, Miss Ginger Makari. An eternal who uses her cosmically powered super speed to scout planets. She is the first deaf superhero in the MCU, and as such, she is not affected by the sonic booms she creates. She'll be played by Lauren Ritloff. Now... Isn't Hawkeye deaf? Like, am I wrong? Is he not deaf? Uh, I know Jeremy Renner has been playing Hawkeye as, you know, able-bodied, but I really feel like Hawkeye is deaf. And this is good that they have this representation um, in this movie, and I hope, you know, they play that up. Um, 
But yeah, back in 2014, uh, revealed that Clint's deafness, Clint being Hawkeye, uh, began due to abuse suffered from childhood. Um, although Marvel Comics has switched around the circumstances over the years, deafness is a reoccurring trait for different incarnations of the Hawkeye character. Which one, does it have to be by abuse? Like, can he not just be deaf? Like, I don't, you know, I'm not deaf, but that feels kind of, feels weird. But, you know, whatever. If, if, this, if this is truth and deaf community is fine with that, then, hey, let's go with it. But I'm like, mm, it doesn't have to be trauma. That's the reason why he's deaf. But um, I knew I wasn't, like, remembering this wrong. He's deaf. And Daredevil was blind. Like, why? Let's play that up a bit more. Which I think, actually, you guys let me know. With the Daredevil um netflix series do you think they did a good job at portraying the, him being blind or even if not portraying him do you think that they did a good job at focusing on his not focusing on um, um acknowledging his blindness enough or well yeah we'll go with that so lauren ritloff will be makari the uh, Deaf Eternal, which, oh my god, I just can't wait to see how that is performed on screen. Next up, we have Fastos, an eternal and an intelligent cosmic-powered inventor who helps humanity progress technolo- mm, technologically. Yep, that's that word, technologically, <laughs> behind the scenes. He is the first superhero to be depicted as gay in an MCU film. Which, okay, there's that. Uh, He's played by Brian Tyree Henry. Who? How are we feeling? How are we feeling? Like, I'm excited again to see this man on screen. Do what you need to do. Brother man, do what you need to do. But even with the cast in general, I'm hoping that with this depiction of gay on screen is not... One, don't queer bait. And then two have it matter like i don't need it to be like (laughs) into the movie and only the power of gayness can save the eternals like i'm not asking for that but like if you're going to make it a point to focus on or highlight this character being gay can we have it matter and not matter in a way where you know, I'm gay because my dad left me and I was beat up as a kid. And I just have a regular fucking couple. I don't know. I'm I'm just, I'm hoping, I have faith that Marvel is going to do this right. But with them f- highlighting the fact that he is gay, which, you know, kudos to that. I just don't want to see <laughs> so much shit that we've gotten in the past before. Like, just let them have a boyfriend or husband or whatever and let them... Be regular. And I say regular, just have a regular life. I met my boyfriend. I don't care if they're at a gay club doing drag or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't let the circumstances around them being gay and being lovers be some traumatic-ass lifetime event. (laughs) My God. So, yeah, that's that. Brian Tyree Henry. So, kudos to you, brother man. Then we have Ajax the wise and spiritual leader of the Eternals, who has aided the advancement of human civilization and is able to use her abilities to heal both humans and Eternals. Also, she is the only one who can communicate with the Celestials. Ajak will be played by Selma Hayek. Which, okay, 
Get your money, girl. And then we have Sprite, an Eternal who has the appearance of a 12-year-old child and can project lifelike illusions and is stronger and more clever than she appears. Played by Leah McHugh. Uh, I saw a, not an interview, but like a quick little, what do you call it, <sighs> clip, I guess, of her, of Leah, Don Lee, and geez, who else was it? Was it Gemma Chan? But they were all together, and the interviewer asked him, like, you know, how did you feel about getting that call? And Leah is such an adorable little girl. She was like, okay, you know, I was so excited. You know, my parents, this and that, or whatever else. The only thing that was a drawback for me seeing Leah was how many installments of Eternals are we going to get? And how, what's planned out before. Not because of anything about Leah. Like that she's done. But it's that y'all know how kids are. You can see your friend's kid. Who's six years old one day. You come back a year later. And they're six feet tall. Looking like. You know a whole different person. And like oh yeah this is my baby. They eight years old. <laughs> you know. So the only drawback for me with Leah. Was like oh man what is she going to look like. A year after this is made. And are we getting a part two? Like, you know, and we have like, I don't know, CGI and whatever else. So it's really not a true concern. But I was like, man, if Leah is a kid and Sprite is supposed to look like a child, I don't know, fam. Are we going to like change or retcon that that story so that she can actually age with the character? Or does she become someone else? <laughs> so then we have Gilgamesh. The strongest Eternal who can project an exoskeleton of cosmic energy and becomes Thena's partner in their exile from the other Eternals. Played by Don Lee. Uh, and this man is swole. Don Lee is... That's a big <laughs> and then we have Dane Whitman, a human warrior who wields a mystical sword. Sounds a lot like Miss Rasputin, but he'll be played by Kit Harrington, otherwise known as John Snow. Now, quick aside, I don't really go up for everybody, but like Kit Harrington is a pretty decent looking guy. I think it's that wavy hair that like I don't know, something about his whole look, but I'm interested to see him and if he's gonna be using an accent. Or is he going to sound American? Or what? Oh, that'd be so interesting if they all. Hmm, I wonder if they had to do any language or not language. Um, yeah, language. Like if they had to play off of each other's accents. Because again, if you're seven thousand years old, be you black, Indian, white, or whatever, Latinx, and all that, you've lived. Like. You've lived long enough to master several languages. So, yeah. So then we have Cersei, an eternal with an affinity for humankind who is very empathetic and has the ability to manipulate matter. She has been in love with Icarus for centuries and possesses a human museum, excuse me, a human museum? <laughs> and she poses as a museum curator on Earth. She's played by Gemma Chan. Uh, Chan previously portrayed Min Erva in the MCU film Captain Marvel. Now, I think that's homegirl who had the blue skin, um, who was a bad guy, who turned against uh, da, 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 uh, Captain Marvel. But, you know, I could be mistaken. So, there we go. And then we have Druig, 
an aloof eternal who can use cosmic energy to control the minds of others. He becomes withdrawn from the other Eternals because he disagrees with their interactions with humankind, played by Barry Kogan. Now this sounds like it sounds like some type of biblical story where like angels are sleeping with humans and then there's that one angel who's like, mm, I ain't with the shit. Y'all need to stop. <laughs> if that's a story in the Bible, let me know if it's something similar. Use that hashtag CBNPod because I feel like, I feel like that is something biblical, right? Or maybe it's like a Lifetime movie that I watched that was about an angel. <laughs> Yo, I'm funny. <laughs> so we also have um, a character... Uh, oh, I hope I don't butcher his name. It's Fastos' husband, and his name is Haas Slyman. Haas Slyman. I hope I said that right. Uh, and he will play uh, Fastos' husband. So, kudos to... Kudos. Kudos. <laughs> and he is Lebanese. Yes, he's Lebanese. So, there we go. I feel like I've seen him in... What have I seen him in? Uh, was it a movie? Not sure, but either way, that's his husband. Now, there's a lot of history that uh, goes into the Eternals, even though they haven't been around uh, in comic book appearances for very long. And so I'll give like a brief kind of rundown. Now, when the <clears throat> picture at Sicily, 1950. JK. Now, when the Celestials visited Earth one million years ago and performed genetic experiments on early proto-humanity, they created two divergent races, the long-lived Eternals and the genetically unstable and monstrously grotesque Deviants, which is like, okay, y'all, that was pretty heavy-handed. Now, these experiments also led to the capacity for super-powered mutations in humans. Not in humans, but in humans, but also in humans. They also performed this experiment on other planets, such as the Kree and Skrull homeworlds, with similar results. So again, retconning that history. Retconning the Celestials as the glue that holds everything together. I like that. I really like that. That's a good way to take decades worth of history and like hold it together. Make a logical thread, but whatever. Now, despite looking human... Eternals are much longer lived. Now, they were not originally fully immortal, uh, and that kept them from having much contact with their human cousins, because those are cousins. Now, Eternals have a low birth rate. They can interbreed with humans, but the result is always a normal human, which is like, what the fuck, bruh? But then, that also makes me think, like, what about an eternal and a mutant? Like, are we still considering mutants humans with mutations, or are they then their own um, kind of category where then you can have offspring with the mutant? Now, um, even though they always produce a human, a normal human, which normal is relative, although Joey, Athena, son of Athena, and a normal human, so Athena had a baby by a normal human, and they named it Joey Athena, um, Seems to have become an eternal with long-lived properties and powers. So, you know, kudos to him for being the exception. But, like, relax, sis. Because now what does his baby end up as if he has a baby with a human? Okay. Now, despite this, the Eternals have, in general, protected the human race. Especially from the Deviants. Because the Deviants are just that, Deviant. 
Um, the Eternals also developed advanced technology, which, okay, the Deviants didn't? Okay. Now, long ago, a civil war broke out amongst the Eternals over whether to conquer the other races, with one faction led by Kronos and the other by his warlike brother Uranos. Now, Kronos' side prevailed, of course, and Uranos and his defeated faction left Earth and journeyed to none other than Uranus, where they built a colony. Now, some of Uranus' groups soon tried to return to Earth to rekindle the war, but they were attacked by a passing Kree ship and forced to land on Saturn's moon, Titan. Those of you we know about Titan, that's the home of Thanos. Now, there, they built another colony. Now, experiments by the Kree scientists on a captured Eternal led them to go to Earth and perform their own perform, perform their own generic experiments on a group of humans, thus creating the Inhumans. And I like that. Like, I really like that. Like, picture the opening scene of Black Panther with, like, explains all of the history of Bast and whatnot. Picture an entire movie like that pretty much telling us how the Inhumans were born, how the mutants were born, how uh, Bruce Banner was able to get hit by gamma rays and not die, how we have this Steve Rogers type of character. Like, man, that's... I don't know about y'all, but that's exciting as hell to me. Like, man, even the Kree and the Skrull, like, this is even incorporating other cosmic beings, which I like because this idea that humans and Earth is, like, the center and be-all, end-all of everything, it's always been weird with me, like... Out of all these planets and all these solar systems, we are the only planet with, like, living beings. Like, there's no other advanced, whatever. (sighs) So, one day, Kronos' experiments in cosmic energy caused a catastrophic release of energy throughout the Eternal City. Let let me run that back, because what I tell y'all to remember, there have been three snaps in Z-formation of the Infinity Gauntlet. So... One day, Kronos' experiments in cosmic energy caused a catastrophic release of energy throughout the Eternal City, Titanos, destroying it, activating latent genes in the Eternals mm, 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 and disintegrating the scientist's body. That's not really important. So I'm going to run all that back. One day, <laughs> Kronos' experiments in cosmic energy caused a catastrophic release of energy throughout the Eternal City, destroying it, activating latent genes in the Eternals. Mm, now, the Eternals now found that they could channel large quantities of cosmic energy, granting them near godlike powers. The accident left Kronos and in an immaterial state, so a new leader had to be chosen. For the first time, the Eternals emerged oh sorry, merged into a single being, the Unimine, to decide which of Kronos' sons, Zurus or Alars, should be the new leader. Which like, can we not both lead? Can we be like president and vice president? Can we co lead, co parent? Like, why does there have to be one or the other? Mm. Now, Zurus was chosen to be the prime eternal, and Alars chosen to leave Earth to avoid causing another civil war. They journeyed to Titan. So they've released this cosmic energy. They have activated latent genes of the Eternals, who are like the cousins to human, pretty much like, yeah, the cousins to humans. This this is getting, it's getting a little bit weird. So, <laughs> um, now, once on Titan, Zurus found that I'm sorry, Alaris found that war, allegedly caused by the Dragon of the Moon, had erupted on Titan, 
and wiped out all but one member, a woman named Suisan. Suisan, I think I'm saying it right. S-U-I-S-A-N. Now, Alars fell in love with her, as you do, and in time, they repopulated Titan. Which, okay, um, question. Titan has been wiped out. There's one woman left. You sleep with her, and y'all repopulate Titan. Is Titan not all your sons? Like, it's just all your children? <laughs> like, what is this? So they repopulated Titan. Whatever. Now, due to the mix of activated genes from Alars and unactivated ones from Suisan, these new Titans, Eternal, or oh, sorry, Titan, mm, Titanian, there we go. I knew I was, I knew it. I can read y'all. These new Titanian Eternals are not as powerful or immortal as Terran Eternals, but are more powerful and longer lived than the earlier pre Civil War Titanian Eternals. So, what we need to take from this is that Sia is titanium. She is an eternal. <laughs> now, while Zorus ruled, three new eternal cities were built. The first was Olympia, located in the mountains of Greece, near the main portal between Earth Dimension and the Olympians' home dimension, which led many Greeks to confuse the Eternals, as gods on Mount Olympus, which I think is so again so cool. Like you're you're retconning. Like we know Thor is in uh, Norse mythology. Thor, anybody, I think he's public domain. Anybody can like use him. There's a Thor that's in DC Comics, and MCU of course has done a good job. Great, Chris Hemsworth to take the Celestials and Eternals, Eternals, and like retcon this through line for all superpower characters in your universe but then also touch on god characters and mythology of like actual history man that's that's so cool like i'm really expecting an epic of a film with the eternals so they did that they were now confused as uh olympian gods cool now there were also Olympia, and then we had da, 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 da. <sighs> Olympia Pantheon. Um, eventually, an agreement was reached with the gods where some of the Eternals, like Thena, would impersonate the Olympians, okay, so that they could create, you know, get more worshipers. So, you know, good, good church. Um, and then there was a city, Polaria, located in Siberia and Oshina in the Pacific, which I don't know the history of these, but Polaria gives me Polaris and Oceania gives me very much Atlantis vibes. Now, 1800 years ago, the Celestials returned to Earth. The Deviants then attacked them, which, what? So, ugh, the Celestials are really pissing me off because how do you give one group all this power within the Eternals and you make them so godlike and all this shit? And then you have the Deviants who you deliberately made, like, quote-unquote bad and they rising up to whoop your ass and you get i don't know whatever man now the deviants attack them but the celestials counterattack, resulting in the sinking of mew and atlantis and much worldwide havoc the eternals helped rescue many humans an eternal named valken was entrusted by the celestials with an artifact of great power for safekeeping Cool. Now, at some point during the early centuries, Icarus and the Eternals came into conflict with an immortal mutant, Apocalypse. 
This conflict ended when Icarus and the Eternals defeated him. Now, Icarus did believe that Apocalypse was dead, but as we all know, Apocalypse is a bad bitch. He ain't finna just go down like that. <laughs> now, 1,000 years ago, the Asgardian god Thor, huh, remember him, encountered some Eternals, but the encounter was erased from his mind to prevent him from learning about the Celestials who were about to return to Earth. Interesting. Again, that could be like folded into this next film. I don't know if they will. I'm sure Marvel knows about this history. Why wouldn't it? They, it's their history. But there's an endless possibility of ways that you can work with these Eternals. There's so much rich history here. And hell, you can just make up some shit. But like, you have a lot to play on if you want to tie it directly into the Marvel Universe. But with this being an ensemble cast, they may want to stay away from including um, at least maybe by name, but including any other characters from the MCU, because, I mean, you do that, and is that another check you gotta <laughs> I don't know. I don't run a big major conglomerate. So, Thor got his mind erased, and Eternal Name Ajax became the Celestial spokesperson and put himself to sleep when the Celestials left, to wait for their return a thousand years later to judge humanity. Why the fuck are y'all judging humanity? Celestials are weird, man. Now, during the earliest 20th century, a human scientist made contact with the Uranian Eternals and was taken to live with them along with his young son, who would later become Marvel Boy. <laughs> the Uranians were eventually killed by mm, Death Urge. There we go. I said that right. After World War II, some Eternals allied with humans and deviants to form the Democles mm, yep, yep, Foundation. Sure. That's what we're going with. If it's wrong, mind your business. Um, now, this foundation tried to create a new breed of superhuman to rule the Earth. Some Eternals, such as Makari, were also activated as superheroes or living amongst humans, keeping their true nature hidden. The Eternals also helped to move the inhuman city to the Himalayas to keep it hidden, which I think that happened in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Didn't, didn't, wasn't there after the first season, or was it the second season, or first season with the um, fish oil peels that like, activated inhuman genes didn't they move to the himalayas or maybe they were always there i feel like i'm remembering this wrong but if you know let me know so we're actually going to stop there because i don't want to get too much too much too, no, further <laughs> i don't want to get too far with the uh celestial's history um though the comics are old you know sans the one in january 2021 i still don't want to give up too much and with the celestial film if it comes out this week cool <laughs> and if it doesn't we can pick up the second half of this uh in november <laughs> i'm sorry y'all this is funny to me so with everything I said, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see how Marvel is going to incorporate the Eternals because they are very super powered. Like, where do you go from there? Let's say everything happens, the movie comes out, cool. But now you've included within the Marvel Universe these hugely, immensely powered characters who have their limitations, yeah, but, like, you have to explain why haven't they been here? Why haven't they helped out? Did the Thanos snap and then the Hulk snap and then the Tony Stark snap? Did that affect them? Were, were any of them 
um, whisked away? You know, did any of them come back? Like, it's like what happens now? And then where the ones who maybe have been here watching everything unfold, what was life like for them? Like, what is the psychology behind being here 7,000 years for the first time in recorded history, seeing half the world disappear and then come back? Does that not energize you? Does the Battle of New York do nothing for you? Like, I'm really interested to see what this Eternals group is like. And you're just that. Just that. It's, it's endless possibilities. So, that being said, if you guys have any um, thoughts on what could possibly happen, if you have any speculations, uh, predictions, if you know a lot about the turn, hell, if you don't know nothing about them and you're just talking some shit, let me know. Hit me up. Uh, CBN Pod on Twitter, Carefree Blurred is my handle. You can email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you guys. And all other social media is Carefree Black Nerd. And make sure to rate and review the podcast. Please give me those five stars and give me a good little rating. Y'all will be reading those on the air. And until next time, you guys, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and um, I don't know, stay alive. Ha 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 ha, staying alive, staying alive. Uh huh, ha ha ha, ha. staying alive. <laughs> All right.